Hi, it's Mark Sisson. Welcome to the Primal Blueprint Podcast, where we deliver a variety of fresh content to help you live awesome. Enjoy the show. Engage with us online at marksdailyapple.com and on social media, and send your questions to info at primalblueprint.com. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the Primal Blueprint Podcast. I'm your host, L. Russ. I'm so excited to talk to our guest today, Mark Allen. He's actually one of my favorite authors and speakers, and I actually took a class from him many, many years ago. He's probably, to me, one of the most inspiring people, and I'm sure you'll love him too. He's a renowned author, composer, and speaker, and he also co-founded New World Library with well-known author Shakti Gawain. And as the company's president and publisher, he guided it from a very small startup operation with zero capital to becoming one of the leading publishers in the field. He's also written numerous books, including The Greatest Secret of All, Visionary Business, The Millionaire Course, and The Type Z Guide to Success. He's also a musician and has recorded several albums of music. And he's just a popular speaker and seminar leader based in the San Francisco Bay Area. If you'd like to find out more about his free monthly teleseminars, uh, go to markallen.com, M-A-R-C-A-L-L-E-N.com. But for his catalog as a publisher, visit newworldlibrary.com. Enjoy the show. And if you'd like to learn more about me and my work and books and coaching and coaching courses, you can go to lruss.com. Welcome to the show, Mark. Oh, it's great to be here, Al. It's, it's delightful to see what you're doing and how well you're doing. It's just great. Yeah, I was, uh, I'll share with the audience. I took one of Mark's uh, Millionaire Course seminars many years ago before I wrote my first book. And it was just so inspiring to me. It's really great to be able to interview you. <clears throat> Excuse me. My voice is a little overused here, I think. So for the people that don't know about you and your experience, what I love is if you could just start with sharing the poverty case that you were in your 20s <laughs> and then and then leading into the that moment of your 30th birthday where you had a pretty strong conversation with your doubts and fears and you kind of made a deal with it. And I would love to just hear that uh, and start there. Right. Yes. The, my 30th birthday changed my life. And it's still what I talk about today with the things that I did on my 30th birthday are just the things in all my books, the things that all my seminars just do these simple things through my twenties. It's true. I was a total poverty case. Uh, I wasn't really interested in money. I, at all. Uh, it was the 60s and 70s, you know, and it was kind of uncool to have money. And and that was kind of fine through my 20s to be a struggling artist. I had, uh, I was an actor at first, and then I was a musician. I, I had a rock band for a while. And then I went on a spiritual path and then just did odd jobs. And everything I touched through my 20s fell apart. I thought the other day, I, I had the opposite of the Midas touch. Whatever I touched fell apart. I was in a theater company right out of college, and it fell apart. I got into another theater company, that fell apart. I went off to a Zen center. I got kicked out for breaking the rules. And then I tried a, a disastrous back-to-the-land experiment, which <laughs> I lasted about five cold months in, you know, I left and wandered around, did this and that, uh, went to a Zen center for a while in Maui. That was really good for my health, for sure. Uh, but I got kicked out for breaking the rules. Then, uh, uh, then I had a rock band that fell apart. And, uh, I got fired as a busboy and, and dishwasher for being too slow. <laughs> and uh, uh, I did yard work for one day and said, this is really hard work. Forget this. And then uh, I, I became a typesetter and got fired for not showing up on time because uh, I was at the beach and didn't want to go to work. <laughs> so he fired me. I love it. So, and then I turned 30. And that day I woke up in a state of shock. This voice said, you're 30. You're not a kid anymore. You know, what are you going to do with your life? And I spent most of the day alone, pacing up and down. And that's the day that changed my life. I did a few simple things. I remembered when I did that disastrous back to land experiment. One night we were sitting around a fire and this couple said, let's play this game we play at church camp. Let's imagine five years have passed and everything has gone as well as you could imagine. What would your life look like? 
And we all went around the fire and said something. I was 22, I think. I don't remember a word of what I said. I tried to, I, I don't remember. So it had no impact in my life. But at age 30, I thought, this is a good idea. But this time I write it down. And I took a sheet of paper. I put ideal scene at the top and I wrote, okay, I imagine I was 35, which just sounded horrendously old. I mean, that's middle-aged, right? <laughs> but I imagine, okay, I was 35 and totally fulfilled. What would my life look like? And what spilled out is I have a successful publishing company. I write books that affect people's lives and help change the world. I record my music. I have a big white house on the hill in a beautiful place. I had a little slum apartment in a bad part of Oakland, California. Uh, bars on the windows, funky place. So, of course, as soon as I started writing, doubts and fears just rushed forward, just inundated me. And, and I realized I, I got two things clear that day. There's just two essential things. It was years later I got it this clear that it's this simple. It's this simple. It really is. There's just two essential things you have to deal with. One, make that dream. Have that vision. Get focused. Dare to dream. Write down your ideal scene in five years hence on paper. And two, deal with the doubts and fears that inevitably come up. Inevitably. I was just overwhelmed. I knew nothing about business. I mean, I could go on and on with my doubts and fears, but. Well, we you hadn't even written a book like you. you no. So your dreams were not even something you were currently actually passionately, you know, pursuing, which I find interesting. Right. Those are the things that came up. You just went right to well in an ideal world. And I love that. Yep. Yep. I, I did. And I'd, I'd never had any interest in business. I'd never taken a business course. I was a theater manager in college and I did. I even had all these conflicts about making money. In, in my 20s, I saw this movie called Brother, Son, Sister, Moon about St. Francis about seven times. And I wanted to live like St. Francis. His dad was rich. He gave his dad everything back, including the clothes off his back. He walked out naked out of town. <laughs> Somebody gave him a robe. And I said, oh, that's how I want to live. Just be spiritual and not have... In, in any obsession with money whatsoever. But it just wasn't working in my life because I had to scrounge every month, a word we used all the time, <laughs> to get my rent together every month. We were scrounging <laughs> all through my 20s. And I remember thinking it was almost magical the way I just managed to get my rent together, just managed every month. And I didn't yeah. know it. But I was on my magical path. I was doing my magical creation, but I was just creating barely enough, barely enough. That's what I was envisioning. And I realized when I was 30, no, I, I want to expand that vision and really see if this stuff really works. I'd read a book about uh, from Catherine Ponder, a unity church minister in my 70s. And that was all about affirmations and the power of affirmations. So the day I was 30, I basically said, I'm going to try this experiment. I'm going to go for my ideal. In fact, and at the end of my ideal, which is maybe so far a unique contribution to humanity, I, I put down, oh, also my dream is I, I'm lazy. I, I keep working my musician's hours. I love musician's hours. You never do a thing till one in the afternoon. Never. So well, I said, in oh, fact, great. I knew this about you. And when they were asking an interview, I said, well, I know he doesn't do mornings. So we'll yes. do it in the afternoon. Right. Exactly. I don't do mornings. I don't do Mondays. I always have a three or sometimes four day weekend. I work. Let me, let me, I want to highlight that because, you know, uh, and I love how, you know, you, you talk about this and this is why you're so inspiring. And, and, and again, leading into, we'll get into your book, Type Z, The Lazy Person's Guide Sort of to Success, mm -hmm. because 
you are really proof that the vibration, intention, the affirmations, all of that inner work, power of subconscious mind, you do not have to be type A. You really are against the grain for someone to be so... Basically, I mean, I'll be honest with you. It's like if you were to look at your uh, past, you're the least likely to succeed for most people's impressions. And that's why I love your work because so many people are not type A, raw, raw people. And you are proof that you can do it without that. So when you said your doubts and fears, I love that you added the extra element of I want it to be easy. Can we talk a little bit more about the lazy element you added to it? Right. I added a phrase I got from Catherine Ponder to every one of my, I, I made my ideal scene. Then I wrote a list of goals, start a publishing company, start writing books, start recording music, start learning about real estate. All started that. Then I turned them into affirmations. And with every affirmation, I added the words I got from Catherine Ponder that I, I believe changed my life. I believe this one phrase changed my life because with every affirmation, I said, I am now creating a successful publishing company in an easy and relaxed manner, a healthy and positive way in its own perfect time for the highest good of all. I just kept affirming that easy and relaxed manner healthy and positive way in its own perfect time for the highest good of all. I've said that thousands and thousands of times, and it has become completely true in my reality. And you're right. My doubts and fears. I had all that. We all get all this type A programming from school, society, parents. Uh, I sure had it from my dad. You know, you must work hard. I told him I'm starting a publishing company the day I was, he said, Oh my God. First he said, you know, 80% of businesses fail in their first two years. And I realized, okay, I can't share my dreams with this guy. And then he said, you got to work really hard, start your own company. I mean, 50, 60 hours a week, you must work. I had all that programming and conditioning. The way to be successful is to be type A, start early. (laughs) The early bird gets the worm. You know, I had all this stuff. But I decided to Make an experiment. I think this is how I got around all those doubts and fears. Some friend had told me about Buckminster Fuller, who was this amazing future futurist and visionary in the 60s and 70s who went around speaking. And he said when he was in his 20s, he decided to either commit suicide or look at his life as this totally unique experiment. Fortunately, he chose the experiment. And as I wandered around in my on my 30th birthday, just inundated with doubts at first. Mark, you, it's way too much. You want to start a company. And I remember clearly the exact thoughts so many years later. It was, oh, you want to start a business and write books and do music and get into real estate. It's way too much. You can't be a jack of all trades, master of none. Pick one thing and focus on that. And I just knew whatever I chose to focus on, the doubts and fears would just start shooting that down. You know nothing about business. You, you, you're a poverty case. You don't even know how money works. You don't know how a bank works. You, you blah, blah, blah. Whatever it would be, I, they'd shoot it down. But I got around it by thinking of Buckminster Fuller and just grasping the, that word experiment. And I literally said to my doubts and fears, okay, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to do an experiment. I'm going to go for this, but do it in my own lazy way right from the beginning. I'm going to do it in an easy and relaxed manner, healthy and positive way. And my doubts and fears said, it won't work. It won't work at all. You must work really. I said, look, if it doesn't work, I'll be no worse off than I am right now. <laughs> Even my doubts and fears had to say, well, yeah, because I was broke. I had, I had no job. I had no family support. Uh, I was sort of right at bare bottom, just barely making it. So even my doubts and fears said, well, yeah, I can't get much worse. So I literally said, okay, give me a year or two doubts and fears to really try this, to go for it, to start a business, start writing books, start recording, do, do everything I want in my own lazy way. It won't work. It won't work. It dawned on me later that, If this did work, I would have something interesting to share to people that you don't have to be a type A maniac to succeed. You can have a life of ease, even a relaxed life of ease. And that's what I started doing. And sure enough, it started working. Well, and 
all of those things manifested. And let's talk about your level of laziness. Cause I want people to understand how chill you are about life and how opposite is because people would go, there's no way you could become successful with taking off Mondays. And what are the other, you know, you, you sometimes have said what you, you know, you, you see your, you have a cup of coffee, say hi to your family and just go back to sleep. Right. right, right. I do. I, I always, yeah, I take every morning off. So I, I never get started till like one. I usually sleep till about 11. Then I get up, have my coffee and takes me, I'm not a morning person, even as a kiddo, takes me, I usually get started around one or so on Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, I some, it depends on how I feel. Sometimes I take off Fridays and, and I take off the weekends. Sometimes I'll work on a Saturday afternoon a bit though. I mean, I work when I feel like it, but it's mostly Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday afternoon is it Monday is my Sunday is my family day. I'll do whatever the family wants, go somewhere or whatever. Monday is my day. And I have it for myself. In the evening, I'm back with family. But in the day, it's my day alone. It's my favorite day of the week. And I often, uh, just about every afternoon, have have a nap in there. I'll, I'll sleep till 11. And some days I'll have two so on a Monday, the uh, recently I, I had three different naps during the day. I got up at eleven. <laughs> yeah, there are days I'll get up at eleven, have my coffee, and my energy just isn't happening. Usually it is, but sometimes it's not. So there are days when I'll have my coffee and go back to bed at, at noon or twelve thirty for a while, and I always relax on my back. Half the time I meditate and do the middle pillar meditation where I imagine healing energy flowing through me. But the other half the time I'm out, I'm sleeping. And I usually do that every afternoon. So I don't work that many hours a week when I really look at how many focused hours of work I do. Right. Uh, you know, one of the things I loved in, um, you know, my, one of my favorite is the audiobook version of the millionaire course seminar. And, uh, and I love visionary business and all of the books, but you know, you talked about how you're like, okay, I'm going to start a business. Like, what do I do now? The one part about this that I loved is that you went down to the very basic and said, well, why don't I just start to ask people who might know about business. And what I love about that is many people think they have to go 10 leaps beyond Mm -hmm. that. And Mm -hmm. I try to impart that wisdom from your book to people. Well, you know, just start asking, go talk to people who do it. That is like, you know, if you don't know where to start, that's Mm -hmm. a great place. Right. Right. That's true. For, uh, I often encourage people for every major goal, make a one page plan on paper and the plan, as you're saying, doesn't have to be detailed. And all you really need to have is that clear goal of success at the top. I am now creating a successful company. And then the next step you need to take. My first business plan for my company, literally the plan that I made on my 30th birthday or the day after maybe was one, read a used business one-on-one textbook because I'd never taken it. And two, Talk to people I know who know more about business than I do. That was literally my entire plan. That's all I knew. That's all I could think of. And most people would think that that's not a plan at all, but that's what I love about it. It is, and it's starting somewhere. You don't have to do the big leap. Right. Just the next little step. That's all the plan needs is, and, and sometimes that's, you know, that's all you will know. And that's all you need to know is that next little step. Once I read the textbook, I learned, oh, business does need a more of a plan. And once I I talked to people, the first thing I walked down to the corner, there was this sauna on the corner that I often went to. And I knew the owner and he he had several uh, properties around and did really well. He was about my age. And uh, I remember saying to him, my first question, okay, uh, how do I start a business? You know, how do I? St-? He said, oh, it's easy. You just go to Civic Center and you file a fictitious business name statement. I said, what is that? He said, well, your business name has to be different from every other business name. 
So you just file that. You make up a name and file it. It costs you $35. So, okay, I did that. So the next step just followed. And that really is sort of the truth, right? With um, you, you take the step forward and things sort of get arranged. I love that when you then ultimately finish your business plan, you know, most people would do that and then stress about how am I going to find people, right? And again, the how, right? Attaching to this cursed, let me figure it out versus leaving it up like a Catherine Ponder and leaving it up to to the world, to sort of the universe or whatever powers you believe in to figure it out. Tell us a little bit about that because it came to you. I mean, and that that happens has happened a lot to me too, putting it out there and not having to strive and go get it, but then right. having it show up. So you're, I forget his name, um, the guy mm-hmm. that was your mentor. Yes, Bertie, yes. Right, so tell us when you finished that business plan, like how it rolled in, because that was also in such an easy and relaxed manner. Yes, it is amazing over and over when you get focused on something, all these coincidences start to happen. And, and like at first I just, oh, how do I make money? I did, I need to raise money. And my first idea was not good at all, but it was all I could think of was, oh, get a job, any job and save 20%. So I actually did that. So I actually did a 40 hour a week work job when I started, but, and it was horrible. Uh, It was inhumane, but along, and then along the way, I learned from my business one-on-one textbook of making a plan. So I did, I did sit down and make a plan of my ideal scene with the company and raising my ideal amount of money. And literally a day or two after I finished the plan. Uh, we had just hired somebody to be a publicist. And I got a call from this guy. I didn't know. He said, Mark? Yeah, he said, my name is Elliot. Uh, you don't know me, but I'm Catherine Hall's boyfriend. And then we had just hired Catherine Hall. I said, oh, great. Nice to meet you. And he said, yeah, I was just talking. I have this old friend named Bernie. And he was just asking me if I knew of any startup publishing companies that are looking for investment capital. <laughs> I said, well, uh, what was your, what uh, was your thought at that? Were you like, did you have goosebumps all over at that moment? I mean, that must have been like, Oh my gosh, this stuff works. Yeah. It, it was that kind of feeling. And he said, do you have a plan? And I said, of course we had just literally finished that plan like two days before it just, it was amazing. I, I love that relationship with him. And you talk more about that in your book, Visionary Business. Yeah. And on that note, I want to, uh, I, I think it's so amazing the way you've approached your own business in terms of profit sharing. Mm. And I'd love you to talk about that concept. And also, if you can, you know, maybe there's more stories since the audiobook, but I love the story about the receptionist who came in and had an idea about the 800 system because she had come from Barnes and Noble and right. what transpired and how she was rewarded. And I, that story just warms my heart. And I just feel like so many leaders in business need to adopt this. Can you sort of touch on and, and sort of give us that, the, the synopsis of that whole scenario? Yeah. Uh, let me go back to the beginning and remind me if I forget that specific story, because yeah, that's a good one. But right from the beginning, I, I did something. I don't know why other corporations don't do it more often. It's to me, it's such a no brainer. And when I look at the power of corporations globally, it would change the world. If every corporation did with their corporation, what I do with mine, it would change the world. Because I sat down when I got my first employees and I, I imagined being an employee. And I said, what do I, what do I want as an employee? You know, what's my ideal scene if I was working for somebody? And immediately, the, well, I want profit sharing. I definitely... Profit sharing turns every employee into either an owner or acting like an owner. They become very creative. I often say profit sharing turns bad employees into good ones, and it turns good employees into a great creative force that really generates more and more profits. I've seen that happen over and over and over. Because they take the extra mile in their proactiveness because they know there's incentive. And again, feeling that part ownership of it. And I mean, yeah, sorry, continue. They're totally incentivized. 
And I thought, okay, my ideal scene is an employee. Well, I want to make every employee rich that works for me. I want to make them wealthy. I want them to get into real estate. I want to help them really build wealth. That's, that's part of my ideal scene for my employees. And yeah, a good example was then this, we hired a new receptionist. She had, and she heard about the profit sharing and she has probably of all our employees over the years, she's probably, uh, in fact, well, it's hard to say, but probably generated us more profits than any other employee because she- right in, just the phone girl, you know, lots yeah. of people dismiss that uh, job. in Right. Yeah. She, our front desk phone girl. And she had been uh, at Barnes and Noble and right away she said, you know, I think Barnes and Noble had a better and much cheaper 800 system than you got. And she got a hold of her manager at Barnes and Noble, found out what their 800 system was, did this research, then asked our financial person what we were doing, what it cost. And she ended up saving us like 80,000 a year on our phone system. So the first, as soon as that was implemented, we just, we gave her a cash check for 8,000. We said, okay, you saved us 80, here's 10%. And when that year's profit sharing rolled around, she got a really nice check. Then she moved into production. We were spending for every dollar we made in income about 34 cents uh, printing books. She got it down to 28. She saved us six cents for every dollar. That means like 6% of, so, of our all our income, she increased our profits by six percent, and we were talking as we 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 built to like ten million while she was doing there. So literally, her her contribution was six hundred thousand more to the bottom line. It's a, it's incredible, and maybe we don't know. Would she have even? bothered with going and getting excited about how she could, if she didn't yeah. know that there was profit sharing and maybe not, you know, yeah. you talked about the post office, right. And how you had <laughs> chatted with someone about, you said they should, you know, right. Do that there because there were people, yeah. there's people at jobs everywhere that know and see all of the discrepancies, inefficiencies, but they don't bother because right. their job is just a dumb old job and they don't care. And they're not treated well, you know, on and on. I've, I've had that conversation with several postal workers you guys should have profit sharing. And they said, no kidding. Oh, we could, they could get so profitable so fast if they had profit sharing. And that's every company. I, I, the value of profit we make, I am, I know for a fact, we make far more than twice the profits we'd made. And, but as soon as we started giving half of our profits away to our employees, my employees get 50% of the profits. Now, as long as I'm still there as an employee, I get some of that too as an employee, but our employees get 50%, owners get 50%. Amazing. Everybody, it, and so the pie expands. We get far more profitable. It's a total win-win situation. When Let me ask, Scott, this I don't think you covered, or maybe I missed it in one of your books. As you started to get some headway here, you know, you're rolling, you have a company, what did your family, your dad, what did they think of this? Were they just like, well, you got lucky? I mean, or were they, you know, because it went against all of what they probably were confused as to how this was working out for you. Right. Right. They were blown away. They were yeah. blown away, especially when with my second profit sharing check, my first profit sharing check just happened to equal exactly what I was in debt. I was 65,000 in credit card debt. And this was the 80s. So that was a lot more money. And my first profit sharing bonus was 65,000. So I paid off my debt. Debt free. Then the second year, I wrote my folks a fat check. I just said, here, thanks for all. They did help me just here and there in my 20s, they'd send me $50 because I was stuck in Taos, New Mexico and needed to get back to California. Got kicked out of some retreat somewhere. Yeah, right. <laughs> exactly, exactly. They would help me out a few, you know, few times. I was the poverty case son and 
Yeah. I mean, literally it'd be 50 bucks here, 50 bucks there. Got me out of jail one time. That was because I was wild racing in Minnesota and I went past the hours on my way in. I didn't have a watch and big game warden threw me in jail for, and stole my rice. For, well, for wild ricing, by the way, they do have the best wild rice in Minnesota. That is, oh yeah, yeah. And I always get my wild rice from there for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I from that wild ricing, it paid for the trip back to California. I just, I had a trunk full of wild rice that I would just when I needed gas, stop into a health food store and just sell them. Yeah, it's like you were definitely like full time scrounger back then. Yes. But let's talk about you know what I love too is that day on your thirtieth birthday you're like I want a big white house on the hill in Marin County and for those that don't know Marin County is probably one of the wealthiest counties in California it's 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 known as one of those places like a Malibu or a Bel Air mm-hmm. or somewhere that's very pricey to live. Um, tell us about what you did. You did ultimately buy like that 10,000 right square foot house on the hill. And I thought it was interesting that you were like, ah, maybe I didn't need something so big, but tell us how you also got there because you got, you decided to be like, I'll just get there right with the starter home or you just like, let me just get to the knit. You can't afford the big one yet. Right. But you baby stepped in there. Right. That was the one plan. When I think back on it, that I made right from the beginning that was a complete plan. And it was the one plan that went exactly as I planned. Every other plan for my company, for my writing, for my music, completely changed. But my when so that like the day after my 30th birthday, I said, I wrote my plan. It was have a big white house on a hill in Marin County. And then step one was learn something about real estate. You know, uh, like start reading, you know, see how that works. And then uh, two was move to Marin County and rent. because so I was renting in Oakland. Okay, move to Marin and rent. Then somehow buy the least expensive home in Marin County. The least expensive. And I literally did that. I literally got a, a big fat book from a real estate agent. And uh, like three, four years, maybe five years after I got to Marin, I had saved enough to literally get the least expense, the cheapest home in Marin. It was a little, uh, a pretty little thing, little rectangle, kind of near the freeway. And, and then the next step was stay in that house long enough to get enough equity to move up to a real, to a nice house in a nice area. And I did that. And then the last step was stay in that home long enough, home number two, to get enough equity to buy the big white house on the hill. And that's exactly what happened. And yeah, after I had it for a while, I it was like, I don't need a house this huge. I really, really don't. So. Did you, was part of, I mean, I would assume the answer is yes, but I'll just <clears throat> check, which is you, the initial move to be like, you know what, let me just rent something cheap, but over there. Was that for the visualization and feelingization of being in the place you ultimately wanted to be versus moving somewhere else. Cause I'm sure there was cheaper rent in the County nearby Marin or somewhere right. else, you know, you right. could have gone every weekend and done drives through Marin, but I'm assuming with the visualization practices that was that, was that intentional that way? Yeah, it was. I thought, okay, if I'm going to move there, I want to get really familiar with that County. And, uh, and so we just put on what happened was, I mean, I was living in this, pretty funky slum apartment in Oakland with several friends that had, they were little studios, several friends. And so I just put out the word. I said, we're looking for a rental in Marin County. Uh, and we just put the word out in our friends. And a few days later, somebody said, Oh, my aunt owns a house in mill Valley on the Hill for the same amount of rent we were paying in to live in a slum apartment when the, when the uh, I think there was like seven of us that pooled together we were renting a beautiful home with a big swimming pool on the sunny side of Mill Valley California it was a total lifestyle change and it was the same amount of money we were still scrounging every month. The feeling, right? Must the feeling uh, of abundance and about possibly getting there must have just and what a again, an easy, relaxed manner. You yeah. put out that and a couple of days later, someone's got an aunt or mm-hmm. you know, a grandma. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it was uh it was great for them. They had just moved out. They were 
looking for responsible renters, and there we were. You know, you've um, you've published some of my favorite books, including your own. You published several. I don't know if the whole entire catalog of the Seth books, the Seth material. Um, most of it, I think. The, yeah. the main one, Seth speaks definitely. I don't know if the whole catalog. Right, there's like 13 books or something, but a lot of them. And uh, I, the, you know, I told you before we got on here, the nature of personal reality is one of my favorite mm-hmm. favorite books. So I know you have, you know, and also Shakti Gawain has written, right? Uh, yes, creative visualization. Creative visualization for for the people that might have heard the buzzword law of attraction. Or what, okay, whatever's out there in the world of positive feeling, imprinting the subconscious. If you could give a little synopsis of someone's like, wait, how does that work? That seems like magic. That seems too easy. How could it be this easy? What's your impression of how this co-creative, you know, uh, juicy stuff works? Because again, you are the perfect example of you don't have to hit the pavement to, you know, with a type A attitude to do this. And it seems confusing probably for a lot of people listening. They're like, well, how does that work? What's your, what's a, what's a good explanation? Um, Mm -hmm. how you feel about it? Yeah. I actually, I have no idea how it works. To me, it's like total magic. The whole universe created something out of nothing. And we're part of the universe. We're, we're totally able to create something out of nothing. I, I think the process will always be a mystery, but we can set it in motion. We set it in motion with our mind. Uh, One of the first books I published was James Allen, As You Think. That's what we called it. Originally, it was As a Man Thinketh. And it opens with a classic. You've published classic. Classic. And it opens with a poem. And if you understand the poem, you don't need the book. And the poem is Mind is the Master Power which molds and makes, and we are mind, and evermore we take the tool of thought and shaping what we will bring forth a thousand joys, a thousand ills. We think in secret and it comes to pass. The world is but our looking glass. That's the whole process. You get a clear picture in your head of what you want, and the first step will become obvious and simple to take toward it. You can't just visualize and sit there and do nothing. But if you do visualize, the next easy step will be obvious, whatever it is. And it's always a small step. It's not like this huge leap. You mentioned that. You don't have to take this huge leap, make this big plan. No, just get that end in mind. Get the end in mind and keep it in mind. And then the next step to take will become very clear to you. Oh, and it'll be simple. I need to make a phone call. I Oh, I need to write a plan here. I need to do this or that. The next step will always be doable. And you just take the next step and then the next step. How do you, you know, it's hard sometimes to wrap around. I guess the way I sometimes would share it with people is that, you know, it's not a thinking universe as much as a feeling. So, you know, you can have a thought and a vision board, but right until you're feeling the feelings of actually having it. So when you were doing affirmations or visualizations, were you heavily into already feeling the feelings of what it would be like to have those things? And, and can you touch on the importance of that? Because again, you can just look at a, you know, a Jaguar on a vision board, but unless you're feeling the feeling of like what it's like to drive it, right. Tell us about that connection. I feel that that works strongest for me, right? In attaching the feelingizations about it versus just the heady mental picture. You know what I mean? Yes. Yes. For me, it was all Catherine Ponder and her, I, for every goal, I would really work on that affirmation. I'd try different things. I, I'd play with different words until I found something that felt good. The right affirmation to me like uh, when I was totally broke, say, I started affirming, I am sensible and in control of my finances. I am creating total financial success in an easy and relaxed manner, a healthy and positive way, in its own perfect time for the highest good of all. Those words just resonated with me. Sensible and in control. Oh, yeah, I can do that. I can be sensible and in control. Those words felt just right. And so I just encourage people to understand the power of affirmations and to play with your affirmations until you get ones that really feel right. 
really feel like every cell of your body is empowered in some way. There's one that I say often, and it has been true for a very long time, and so I keep repeating it, <laughs> which is, um, I am so grateful for the, the abundance and freedom to do what I want whenever I want. Oh, that's a wonderful one. So, And it's true. And I suggest to people to start with that who are in the nine to five jobs that hate it and can't imagine another way of choosing right. their own life. So- I, I want to write that one down. I'm so, I'm so grateful, grateful for the abundance and freedom to do what I want whenever I want. You, know, you just throw financial. Oh, 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 oh. To do, I love that. To do whatever I want, whenever I want. Yeah, to do what I want, whenever I want. Oh, uh, I love and that, that. And that right? just, I want to keep sealing that in because I want, you know, of course, I, want, I definitely want that to continue to be true. But mm-hmm. when I say it um, now, or I'm thinking it, and it is true, it even just, it, it furthers it. It just, it like deepens this wonderful gratitude that I have. And I'd love to talk to you about that because all of this seemingly wouldn't work if then throughout the day, you're just shitting on everything that's going on in life. Right. And you're part of water cooler talk and complaining. So talk to us about gratitude and what that means to what it means to this process for people to be able to create their ideal scene. Uh, Yeah. Gratitude is like the direct path to abundance. It really is The, the way I see the process. I don't know who it was. Somebody said our subconscious mind is like an incredibly powerful five-year-old and it believes whatever you tell it you know you tell a five-year-old there's monsters under the bed they will believe that you know and our subconscious accepts whatever we say and whatever we tell it and and anything anything we say or think our subconscious absorbs so when we do say when we say i am i am so grateful for the abundance and freedom to do whatever i want whenever i want our subconscious just says, yes, yes. And being so powerful starts showing us exactly how to live and to be grateful for our lives of abundance and have a life of abundance and freedom. That's a wonderful affirmation. But then if our next thought is, oh, it's so hard. It's so hard to succeed. So few people succeed. Our subconscious mind says yes to that too and says, yes, it is hard for you with that thought. Yes, it's totally hard for you. See, I'll show you how hard it is. I really think that's the process. I used to think, I wrote a book called A Visionary Life, and I used to think you had to be sort of on course 51% of the time in order for it to really start working. But then I heard that analogy of that a plane flying is off course over 95% of the time. But the pilot just keeps correcting over and over and over and it reaches its destination. When I first heard that, my first thought was, that's the story of my life. Maybe I have <laughs> been off correcting course. every five minutes. <laughs> yeah. Maybe I have been off course 95. At my 30th birthday, that's when I set my course. I had a destination. I really, In my 20s, I had no destination. I was like a ship wandering around, getting nowhere, because I didn't have a destination in mind. On the day I turned 30, I made my destination. Successful publishing company, books, music, home on a hill, and a life of ease. That's my destination. And then probably 95% of the time, I was like, oh, this is so hard. There's so many details. Do I, uh, do I have to work harder? I, I often had that the first few years. Maybe I really have to work harder to make it work. But no, my experiment is to only work when I feel like it, so I'm going to do it. But I, I had all these things that got me off course. But I did. I just kept getting back. Every time I'd get frustrated, I'd, I'd deal with it, and I'd focus back to my dream and I'd affirm things and get back on course. And so maybe we only have to be on course three or 4% of the time. Maybe. Maybe that's all I was on course. What is, well, and you reached that destination. So 
Uh, I mean, obviously some of this might be personal, but once you, I mean, all of those things happen uh, on the day of your 30th birthday, they all came true. Uh, then where'd you go from there with the next ideal scene? And, or is there something you haven't written or shared about like some next level of an intention or an affirmation that you put forward that did come true that you could share with us other than all the stuff that's already happened? Yes. Yes. It does keep expanding for sure. And in uh, in the back of visionary business, I put it as an epilogue. Uh, but my dream now is peace and prosperity globally, to really start making the changes. And, and I've been talking about it a lot. And we every individual can do a lot. Every corporation can and should do so much more. Every government could and do so much more. And things are happening. Things are moving in that direction, I really feel. But I've been talking and writing about that a lot. The power of an individual to make a better world, the power of corporations. If every, now it's it's catching on with corporation uh, speak where they're talking about the three Ps rather than just the one P of profit. They're talking about Profit, yes, is important, but also people and planet. So you take care of your people, your people as employees, and you take care of the people in your community, too. A a big corporation could do fantastic things for its whole community and even much broader, you know, for people across the world. And then also planet. You've got to build a sustainable corporation that does not create problems in the planet, make it sustainable. So people, planet, as well as profit, that would help transform the entire world. So the more we talk about that, the more we write about that, uh, the more changes are really happening. I love it. So in sort of closing up here towards the end, you have, I'm sure, and even probably with other of your friends who are writers and authors in this area of, you know, creative visualization, powers of conscious mind, what are some one, I mean, you are a 180, right? You know, in terms of like an example, what are some others either, whether it's someone that was in a course of yours or an employee or a friend, someone, you know, that adopted this, that finally did this experiment on their own, their ideal scene experiment. Um, anything come to mind as far as some other really 180s where the person thought it was impossible, no way. And then, you know, sort of. Miracle- oh, yeah, I've. I've had a lot of stories of that. They always make my day. Uh, when you first said 180, the thought I immediately had, but it's not because of my work, it's because of his own work. But our most amazing book, uh, I think that we've ever published, is The Power of Now by Eckhart Tolle. And talk about a 180 there, where one night he was on the verge of suicidal depression literally saying, I can't live with myself any longer. And he spiraled into this black fear. And he said it was like a fist hitting him in the chest saying, resist nothing, resist nothing. And he woke up in this amazing, completely different state that he's been in ever since. Talk about a 180 emotionally. Yes. And I want to point out, right, that you publish his books. Yes, I mean, yes. your catalog of books at New World Library is incredible. And you are just the top in that field. So many of the books I love are are there. Yeah, he is a really great 180. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, from suicide to then now inspiring other people to be present. And he is so funny and so non-suspectingly hilarious in yes, interviews you see him in. And uh yeah, he's a he's a great inspiration. He's so light and he really has no ego. He's he's sort of amused by his success. He really is. It's all kind of amusing. But he reminds really... me a lot of Byron Katie in a way, mm-hmm. although different experiences, but super 180. And also in the sense that very few things, or if nothing, rattles these mm-hmm. people. The, their sense of inner peace is astounding, almost unbelievable at first until you start to really get to know their work. I mean, what a joy for you to work personally and be able to bring that book to the world. 
Oh, it, it's been one. That, it that's got, had to have been on your ideal scene that you wanted oh, some huge hit like that. That was, that was literally the answer to a prayer. Because by 99, I had fully achieved my ideal scene and everything was great. And uh, I was walking around my big house and I started praying uh, in the summer of 99. I just prayed, God or goddess. Or, there's this Brazilian goddess, Yema Jai, I pray to sometimes. And, forces of creation, whoever you are, whatever I call you, I want to take a quantum leap in my financial life. I want to get, I want to make even a lot more. And in my inner peace, that was my prayer, a quantum leap. It was that vague. It was totally vague. It was just, please, I want to take a quantum, help me make a quantum leap in my finances and in my inner peace. And a week or two after I started praying that, the power of now just fell into my lap to publish. The book is the best book I ever read personally. For it really does, it really has helped me create a much more sustained inner peace. I think about it every day, very many times. And financially, it was an incredible windfall. We sold over seven million copies so far in the U.S. alone, and it's in fifty foreign editions, selling all over the world. Oprah's doing another thing with Eckhart now. So we're gearing up our print runs again and it's hitting some bestseller lists in LA. And it's just, yeah, a publisher's dream come true. That's so wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, you know, uh, well, everyone can go. Do you still do the sort of free teleseminars every now and then? Yes, I do. Yeah. Okay. So that's at markallen.com, M-A-R-C-A-L-L-E-N. Dot com. And then everyone, if you want to check out his catalog of amazing books he's published, that's newworldlibrary.com. Um, are you still running also courses like the one I took many years ago? Yes, I do. I'm, I'm doing an ongoing course called On the Magical Path. And that's uh, that's just, yeah, this ongoing course. You can join it whenever and take it as long as you want. It works through my book, The Magical Path. And then I... I still do success with these uh, things occasionally. And I, I have an audio course of success with these that um, that people really enjoy. I love this so much. Thank you so much for coming on and sharing your experience with us. I just, I think you're one of the most inspiring people. You've really enriched my life and uh, I can't thank you enough. It's really, again, it's, you know, it's almost a, an ideal scene for me to have been able to interview you today. So thank you so much. Thank you so much, Al. I, I enjoyed it. And I really, I love what you're doing. You're doing wonderful work. Thanks so much. All right, everyone. We'll see you next week. Primal Blueprint listeners don't compromise on pantry classics. Whether you're going keto, paleo, in the middle of a whole 30 month, or adding to your Primal approved arsenal, Primal Kitchen has a full range of mayo, ketchup, dressings, and oils that add flavor and variety to any meal without ever compromising on ingredient quality. From avocado oil-based mayos bursting with flavors like kicky chipotle lime, creamy classic, zesty garlic aioli, or savory pesto, to unsweetened ketchups and organic mustards, there's a condiment to complement every taste bud. Be sure to stock up on Primal Kitchen avocado oil, extra virgin olive oil, and new balsamic vinegar of Modena to add ease and great flavor to any dish, whether you're grilling, baking, broiling, braising, sautéing, or stir-frying. Primal Blueprint listeners can get their favorites 20% off when they use the code PRIMALBLUEPRINT at checkout.